Okay, I'm rolling. So now I'm, I'm rolling. Maybe I should turn myself down. Does this sound better? Down? Okay. Is this sounding better? I can fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 11th. I'm Kristen Torres, one of the producers of this show. I definitely have, like, the party's over syndrome. This is Liz O'Lear. You might recognize her voice from the show we did a couple months ago. The one titled Unsent Letters. Okay, so, like, when I was little, I used to, like, after holidays or, like, my birthday parties, whatever, just some sort of fun family vacation, I would get so fucking emo and so, like, in my bed, like, oh, I feel so sad and I don't know why. And my dad would have to come in and be like, are you having the funny feeling? And I'd be like, yes. Like, so dramatic. (laughs) In my room. And he would, like, you know, do the thing where he touched me in like a burrito and be like it's gonna be okay there's nothing to be sad about so I definitely have like the ending the party's over like sad girl feels all the time like when something so great has ended I gotta tell you I am having some of those funny feelings lately because the 11th is coming to an end that's the headline here this is the last episode of our show It's been a little over a year since our show began. I'm Chloe Prasinos, by the way, another producer of The 11th. In that time, we've made over a dozen projects, each month something entirely new and entirely different. And so we've been trying to figure out how would we like to end? I don't know if I like neatness in an ending, really. Hanif Abdurraqib from our show last September, Time Machine, The Score. Or maybe not even neatness. I don't necessarily require happiness in in ending as much as i require like <sighs> clarity we decided to turn to our community of contributors and to ask them what do you do when you reach an ending i always do something with my hair after i've like definitively ended something this is sai sion he's the writer and the star of our april show his saturn return the first thing i do is i wash my hair and I'll get it retwisted because I'm just like, all this buildup of emotion, you know, it need to come out. I need a detox. I need a cleanse. I need a condition. I need a retwist. And nothing puts me in that state of mind quicker than doing my hair where I have to be patient enough to do all those things and more. The only ending ritual that I could think through is um, I do a lot of lying on the floor. Chioki Ionson from our December show, Exhausting a Place, in conversation with senior producer Eric Menel. I remember actually after I um, defended my dissertation and they were like, congrats, you know, you're, you're Chioki PhD. Uh, and I went back to the crib. Cats were going to go out. We were going to celebrate. And I was like, hold on, y'all, let me grab some stuff. <laughs> I went to the room, just laid on the floor and cried. What do you think you were crying about? On the one hand, it's over. But on the other hand, that that's all it took. It's like the, the joy of accomplishment, but also the general disappointment in myself that I couldn't have done this sooner. Carvel Wallace from our February episode, Love. 
when I'm leaving a place, even if I've rented an Airbnb and I like leave it, I like do a weird little thing where I say like say thank you to the space and like after after kids are in the car and we've already cleaned up everything and everyone's like remember their toothbrush, then I just kind of like like take a moment and just like acknowledge that we had life in this space. We've decided we want to end the 11th with a little story. Of an ending, in fact. It's actually the first recording we ever made, almost three years ago, when we were still dreaming up the 11th. Our senior producer, Eric Menel, is going to tell it. About three years ago, I was in Los Angeles for work, on a different podcast. Occasionally, in this job, we have to rent time in a recording studio for our interviews. And the studio we rented on this specific day just happened to be incredible. Hands down, the nicest studio I had ever been in. When you walk into this building, the walls are lined with platinum and gold records, and Grammys and Academy Awards, of all the artists who have used this studio. John Mayer, Mary J. Blige, Usher, Willie Nelson, B.B. King, Carole King, Foo Fighters, Lizzo. You get the idea. In the corner of the room was a piano that used to belong to the jazz pianist Oscar Peterson. Supposedly, Elton John used to rehearse on it. You may have actually seen this piano, because it's in the same room where Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper recorded together in the movie A Star is Born. I'm alone in my house. I'm out on the town. So we recorded our interviews in this beautiful place, all hardwood floors and stained glass details and mid-century design. And then we packed up our things to leave. I had a couple of hours to kill before heading to the airport, and so I asked the engineer if I could just hang out. And he told me, sure, but there is somebody else coming in to record tonight, so you'll want to kind of stay out of the way. Of course, immediately, all I could think about was, who could it be? Which Grammy-winning artist am I about to watch record? So a few minutes later, I'm sitting in the control room, scrolling on my phone, and I see the engineer wheel the Elton John piano out of the corner and place it in the middle of the room. He runs, grabs a couple of big microphones, puts them over the piano. And then, to the left, a door opens. A woman, maybe in her 30s, walks in backwards with her phone up, recording. And behind her walks in an older woman, I would guess in her 70s. She has her head wrapped with a shawl. She's using a walker and inching towards the piano. The commotion in the room just slows to a halt, and all eyes fixate on her. At this point, I'm thinking, perhaps she's a classical pianist I just don't know about, or some old-money heiress who just likes to play in this beautiful place, this iconic room where Stevie Nicks used to record. She makes it to the piano, sits down. Someone sets a stack of music next to her on the bench, opens one of the books, and places it in front of her. The old woman lifts her hands up to the keys, leans forward, and starts to play. And it sounds fine. It's okay it's pretty clear that she is not a professional pianist. She's making small mistakes, her tempo's kind of slow. And honestly, I'm just kind of scratching my head. Like, what am I looking at here? 
few minutes into it, I turn to the younger woman and I ask, who is this? What's she playing? That's my mother, the younger woman tells me. This is music we just picked up this morning. Does she play a lot? I ask. My name's Eric, by the way. Hi. The woman introduces herself as Kimby. Karen is her mother's name, she says. And then Kimby fills me in. Karen had been a pharmacist for most of her life and retired a few years prior. But she'd always wanted to play concert piano. And so she decided to go back to school for it. She'd been taking classes for a couple of years and was three quarters of the way to her degree when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And she had to quit school. She moved in with her daughter, Kimby, because she was part of this clinical trial and needed someone to help take care of her. The reason they were in this studio was because the weekend before, a friend of Kimby's had asked Karen, is there anything you really miss? Anything you wish you could have back from before you were sick? And Karen said, I'd like to play the piano. That friend happened to have some connection to this place. He knew how beautiful it was and how much history was here. And he wanted Karen to know what it felt like to play in a place like this. So they booked the room. That morning, before the recording, Kimby and Karen had gone to the hospital for an update on how the clinical trial was going. And the doctor told them it wasn't working. And they were going to stop treatment. The way Kimby put it, they knew the end was close. But now they knew just how close. And Karen knew this would be the last time she'd ever get to play piano. I looked over at the engineer, a 20-something guy, and he was tearing up. I've recorded Tom Petty in here, he told me, and a bunch of other people at that level. And you get so jaded. At some point, it's all just noise. Then, something like this happens. I've carried this recording on my phone since that night, almost three years now. One of the things I love about it is that, if you listen closely, you can tell that Karen is still practicing, still trying to get better. Even though she knows she doesn't have much time left, when she misses a note, she goes back, tries it again, tries to get it right. Karen died about a month later. I learned from Kimby and her obituary that she was also a dancer and a competitive sharpshooter. Up to the very end of her life, she kept doing new things and trying to get better at them. Playing music that she had no expectation people would ever hear. It was just the making that was important. It's the most beautiful ending I've ever witnessed, and likely the most beautiful ending I ever will witness. Maybe that's the trick to ending something well. Just putting as much of yourself into it for as long as you possibly can. In other words, not treating it like an ending at all.
you'll recognize this one, I bet. You can tell me if you do. feel conflicted with an ending not once has it ever just been one one thing that i have felt yeah it's a chord it's not just one note oh oh, bitch yes (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) we've got metaphors we've got metaphors (laughs) we never end on just one note yes we always end with a chord okay okay let's do a chord Mm-hmm. I don't know how to harmonize with that. Mm-hmm. The 11th was produced by Eric Menel, Chloe Persinos, and Kristen Torres. Janelle Pfeiffer is one of the founding producers of the show. Our editors are Leela Day and Joel Lovell. Our senior managing producer is Asha Saluja, mixing an original music by Hannes Brown. To me, it sometimes feels like the beginning of fall or like that feeling you have when it's cloudy and it seems like you should be depressed, but you're kind of enjoying that feeling, like kind of comfortingly sad. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. Our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. Visuals and marketing by Grace Chen, Moira Curran, Liz O'Malley, Kurt Courtney, and Meredith Rice. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers and Crystal Tupja at Odyssey. Episode art by Jonathan Conda. I don't like the huge heroic ride off into the sunset endings because I think those are super misleading, super unrealistic. The executive producers at Pineapple Street are Max Linsky and Jenna Weisberman. A special thanks to the contributors who spoke to us for this episode. Sarah Vereen, Hanif Abdurraqib, Kelly Loudenberg, Samantha Kolb, Chioke Iansen, Sai Sion, Raisha Mantri, Carvel Wallace, Liz O'Lear, Raj Makija, Hannes Brown, and Jonathan Conda. Thank you to everyone who pitched us your stories, your brilliant ideas, and thank you for listening. That's it.